the book called Something Other Than God, written by Jennifer Fulweiler. And she writes in her book that she was raised by humanist, uh, atheist parents, and she'd had no idea about religion of any kind. She'd never went to church. She didn't know about the Bible. She didn't know anything. Literally, she wrote their nighttime reading at bedtime was Carl Sagan's Cosmos. That's a good sleeping pill for a kid too, probably, but um, that was how she was raised. She knew nothing about God until she writes that she held her newborn baby in her arms. And as many parents here can attest, when you see your children, you say, there's something at work here much bigger than myself. She said, as I held my son in my arms, I asked myself, what is this baby? According to my worldview and how I was brought up, he's just a randomly evolved collection of chemical reactions. And then she said, when I realized, when I looked at, at him, that, that can't be true. That's just not the truth. There's more to what's happening here. It didn't fit the reality of her life. It didn't make sense with what she was experiencing. She would write, this was a turning point for her. She would eventually come into a Christian faith. Something clicked in her brain that how she had been brought up wasn't giving her the answers she was looking for. And she realized that in the presence of her new child that she then found her place and she found her purpose. She found her place as a mother. She found her place more in the universe as a human being. And she found her calling and purpose much bigger. She realized life wasn't about her, right? When you have children, you realize, okay, my needs are going off the table now if this is gonna succeed. And she realized that. She found her place and her purpose. She realized that a humanist explanation of the universe doesn't give you the answers you're looking for. It can't provide things like origin, meaning, morality, destiny, why we're here, where we go when we die, why does love even exist on an evolutionary scale? You know, the complexity of the universe, why do we have morality and ethics at all? So the answers, if they're not found there, then where are they found? One place we find the answers to life itself is in the worship of the triune God. And it is in his presence that we find our place and our purpose. It's in his presence we find our place and our purpose. You know, everyone today has an opinion. I've heard it said, if you want to start an argument, state your opinion on Facebook and wait. <laughs> right? But everyone's got an opinion, and now our opinions are, are weaponized because we all have the ability to state our opinion as individuals, and I think it's created a lot of chaos many times. But everyone has an opinion. But here's the thing about opinions. Opinions aren't reality. It's just your opinion. It might be true, it might not be. But nowadays, people think their opinion is how it is, because I feel it, therefore I am, because I feel it, therefore it's true. But see, human beings born into this world, apart from being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, apart from being a born-again Christian, and understanding how the universe is made in God's image, and we can be made in God's image, apart from that, in our natural state, we have a very upside-down view. Our opinions have a very upside-down view of reality itself. Left to ourselves, apart from Christ, we have a very high view of humanity. I'm the center of the universe. I'm the most important thing. And can have a very low view of the things of God or complete ignorance of the things of God. In many ways, we have to learn how to sing the song of worship. It's awkward. We don't know how to do it at first. What do I do with my hands? What do these songs mean? And that's okay. We're all on a different journey. But we're born into this world, in a sense, with spiritual amnesia. 
And God has to awaken us and open our eyes to show us the purpose, why we're here. Apart from God's presence, we can't find our place and we can't find our purpose. It's the same way with worship. Worship apart from God just doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like a blindfold that covers people's eyes and they just, you don't understand it at first if you really think about it. Like I remember when my wife was much smarter than me. She went to Elon University and she, I'm gonna brag on her. She graduated, graduated double major with honors in less than four years and incredible amount of work she accomplished. And I went to her graduation and I met the, uh, her professors and many of her religion professors are of course ironically atheists. And, and I'm speaking, they were having good conversations with them. I was in seminary at the time and, and one of them, uh, he had a ponytail, you know, <laughs> of course, he had a ponytail and I was asking him, you know, what do you do? And he said, I'm, I'm this professor. And he said, what, what, what do you do? And I said, I'm a worship leader at a church in Charlotte. It sings songs. And, and he had a puzzled look on his face. And he was like, worship leader, what exactly is that? And I was like, whoa, you don't know what that is? And I had to explain to him what that was. And, you know, apart from the church, apart from knowing Jesus, you don't, it just doesn't make sense. And you have to learn again what it means to worship. It feels awkward at first, and here's why it feels awkward at first. Because worship's not about you, and worship's not about me. Worship's about God. And we don't like that at first. It's like, what? It's not about me? Well, I don't know what to do anymore. But see, when you lose your life in his presence, you find your life. When you, when you, when you get into his presence, you find why you're here in the first place. And it's not stifling your freedom. It's actually enhancing your freedom. But yeah, we have a problem with worship at first because here on this planet, this is more of like a deaf planet. I think there's, there, well, in the universe, there could be other planets that aren't fallen. I don't know, but earth is. And we have to learn how to worship here on this planet. And God helps us by his grace, will help us learn to sing that song. It's in his presence that we find our place and our purpose. So my, one of my prayers is if you're coming into this Sunday with a very low view of worship or worship something you sort of tolerate <laughs> to get through to the part you like or, or whatever, uh, you don't know what to do with it, that's okay. It's okay. We're all in different places. But I hope and pray you walk away from February with a deeper and richer understanding of who our God is. Because we're not going to be worshiping the idea of worship. And whenever we choose songs, we always say, is that song about God or is that song about worship? We want to sing songs to God. And we, we, don't, we don't want to do that. I hope you walk away with a deep understanding that worship starts with God. And it's not about us. And that's good news. Because I don't know about y'all, but sometimes it gets pretty old thinking about myself all the time. Worship's very freeing in that way. To lose yourself in his presence and find your place and your purpose. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This was actually printed above the door of the library where I went to seminary. And that's our goal for this month is to grow in knowledge of the Holy One. And as we grow in knowledge of the Holy One, worship becomes even more, more rich and, and can apply more and more to the daily rhythms of our lives. So we are doing this new series, Worship, Living in Awe of God. And we're going to be looking at questions like, what's the purpose of worship? Does God need it? 
No, it's not really, but it's just a natural response to who he is. Worship unites us. Worship is, it's a, it's not, it's a choice and not just a circumstance we find ourselves. Worship reorients us back to the truth. Worship refreshes our souls that the vertical aspect of worship can then affect the horizontal aspects of our lives. We live as a people that give praise to God Sunday to Sunday. That, that all these things we're going to be looking at, but today is that in his presence, we find our place and our purpose. And the first character we're going to look at is Isaiah. He found, he was taken up into this vision of the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And in this story, he finds his place and his purpose. It was the year that King Isaiah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe, hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces and with two, they covered their feet and with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the pivots of the threshold shook at the voices of those who called and the house filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah, woe is me, I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. I really enjoy fishing. Does anybody like fishing? Fishing's a lot of fun. All the fish I've caught are actually larger than they were in reality but there's still a lot of fun. One time at Lake Norman, I almost caught a gar that pulled me into the, to the water. It was at least 16 feet long. It's big. Well, they are pretty big fish, though. Just a few, weeks ago, a few months ago, my father-in-law caught a big flounder in Florida, and we had to throw it back because flounder are, like, endangered now, apparently. And I don't know. It was so sad. We couldn't, we couldn't take it, you know. But I love I loved fishing. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, whenever I've caught fish, I always look at the I always wonder, what's the fish thinking? What's the fish going through? What kind of trauma? Because I'm pulling the hook out. He's bleeding. Some people kiss it. We take pictures with it. We're holding it up. Like, oh, I'm going to eat you. It's sort of like, you know, Tim Allen and Home Improvement and the blah, 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 thing. And, and you're, oh, I'm a man. And, uh. But I love the, the aspect of that. But what's, what's the fish experiencing? Well, here's what the fish is probably thinking. Ah, how did I get here? What is this feeling in my lungs? Put me back where I belong. I don't belong here, wherever you... We're speaking of here. Where is here? Isaiah probably felt like a fish out of water at this moment. He is in this place, and he knows, I do not belong here. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. And here I am, a holy God, where sin is not present at all, and yet I'm here. And I'm a fish out of water, but see, God doesn't treat him like that. Yes, he collapses under the holiness of God. The Hebrew word for for cloud or presence uh, means heaviness in English. That the presence of God is, the air is literally pregnant 
with his heaviness, with his holiness. That's why people always fall down in the Bible when they encounter holy beings. Because not only are they, I think they, are they large, but they're holy. And we can't stand under the presence, not out of hatred or, or malevolence from God, but simply because of the holiness of who God is. And so the, this literal scene he sees himself, he, he's, he's encountering these seraphim, these angels with six wings that are covered with fire, and they can't even look on the God. These created beings that are perfect and holy too, but they're not God, and they can't even look at him. They have to cover their eyes to, to even be near the holiness of God. And Isaiah falls on his face before the Lord and says, I'm a man of unclean lips. But in this moment, Isaiah finds his place because where he is is the most real place he's ever been in his life. Plato taught that the philosopher is really a prisoner in a cave and that you're looking at the wall of the cave and what we see as reality is shadows. And the role of philosophy is to find the truth, to not live as a prisoner looking at shadows, but to eventually try to turn around to see what is creating the light, what is the true source of reality. And let's get to the truth. Isaiah is in the most real, true place that exists anywhere. In, he, he's living, essentially, we are living in the shadowlands, this earth. And Isaiah is taken to a place beyond the shadowlands into the place of pure, unadulterated light. God invites Isaiah into this place for a, for a purpose. Isaiah finds his place as a sinner, but then God doesn't just leave him in his ailment, but shows him the remedy, which is his calling to cleanse him, inspires him, sends him. It also shows us that there is a spiritual ecosystem far greater than our imaginations that exists in the universe with things that are are beyond description almost, like seraphim and cherubim and, and millions and millions of angels, and yet there's tangible things like coal and fire and altars and thrones. Isaiah realizes my place is not God's place, that I have no self-sufficiency here, I have no standing. This is not about me. It's all about him. And he comes with an openness of heart. And in God's presence, Isaiah finds his purpose, and he is, he is then sent to go preach and be a prophet yet again. And in Luke chapter 5, it's kind of crazy, the, the parallels here. In Luke 5, Peter has sort of a similar experience, but it's on a boat, back to fishing. And worship breaks out on a boat. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1, once while Jesus was standing inside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got onto one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long, but we've caught nothing. Has God ever told you to do something and you thought, God, I, I think I know what I'm talking about. Let me inform you of how things should be. You ever done that? It's hilarious. But Jesus doesn't chastise him. It, but if you say so, you know, Jesus, Jesus doesn't give him any accommodation here. He probably just looks at him. Yet if you say so, I'll let down the nets. 
Peter's fished his whole life. He knows in his mind and in my logic, this is a bad idea. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So many people, they had to signal partners in the other boat to come and help them. As they came and filled both boats so that they, plural, began to sink. There's so much fish, two boats began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, here's the purpose. Here's the, yeah, the purpose. Do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching people, Peter. You're going to be catching a lot of people, Peter. You're not just catching fish anymore. You're going to be doing a whole lot more than that. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and they followed him. I love how Jesus uses Peter to accomplish the miracle. He doesn't just do the miracle, but he gives Peter something to do in the miracle. And to use a bad pun, a fishing pun, he's baiting Peter in a way to teach him something. And so he's, Peter's being obedient. Peter's using his resources that God has given him to be a blessing to the world. Lord, if you say it's a good idea, I'll do it. I think it's kind of stupid, but I'll do it. And so much of our discipleship as Christians is built on obedience to simply do what he asks you to do, even if it goes against your logic and it doesn't make sense. But when we do that, when we're obedient, we actually get more into his presence. I believe that. When we're obedient, we, are, we, we come to know him more intimately. I mean, it doesn't just happen by accident. We, we have a role to play as Christians. And so Peter obeys and Peter's response to this crazy miracle isn't just, wow, that's amazing, or wow, you're amazing, or this is really cool. He, he gets on his knees and says, get, get away from me. I'm not worthy to be near you. I'm a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. And here's the wonder and the grace of God, that God who's holy is also approachable allows himself to be worshipped. That's a sign of deity. He allows himself to be worshipped. But he doesn't turn people away in his holiness, in his perfection. And in those moments, both of these men, they find their place. Yes, you're a sinner, but Jesus doesn't just leave them there. He gives them a purpose. They find their place and the purpose. From now on, you're going to be catching people. In the United Methodist Church, Worship is really contingent on really only on two things. Lots of other stuff is great. The music and the lights and, and videos. All, I love all that stuff. But really, all you really need is the word and, and table. You need the Bible. You need the living word present with, we need the living word and then the table is Christ present with us now. Living presence, his real presence with us. That's all we really need when we practice communion. And that when we do that, we know that he is here with us. And one of the many, many beautiful things about communion is that it does help us find our place, doesn't it? It helps us find our place that, yes, we're sinners, but also that God calls us to himself by his grace. He calls us to sit at his table and have a meal with him. And as we leave communion, we find our purpose to go be that, that body and blood to the world around us, to practice the same way that he has first loved us. 
And as we come before the Lord's table this morning, the night he, which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you take this meal, do it in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup, the, the wine of the new covenant. He said, this is the, the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me and know that I am real present with you now. John Wesley said, take communion as often as you can. He took it every day because it reminds us of his real presence, of our place, that you are loved by God and our purpose, that he then loves us too much to leave us where we are, but then to send us like Isaiah and Peter. In a moment, you can come forward down the center aisle. You can receive our little celebration cups. As you take it, you can take it as you wish. Just peel off the top layer. It's clear, a little bit tricky. And you can kneel and pray if you wish as well. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, be poured out on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, redeemed by his blood. God, we are a people who are grateful, a people who are humbled in your holiness, people who are thankful that you have poured out your body and blood on our behalf so that we would be forgiven of our sin, washed clean. Though our sins may be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That we can receive that gift today by faith and make us new creations, O oh God, that, that doesn't just start the moment we die, but that starts here and now and carries on into the life to come. Come Holy Spirit in this time of worship. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.